Lord Jesus, on this first day of the year, we invite your spirit, Lord, to speak to ours, to be a part of setting our internal compasses for a year of walking with you. We trust you with our very lives. We certainly trust you with this year and with the future that's immediately before us. Lord, help us to take these next steps with you in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, you know, our church doesn't often um, use kind of uh, liturgical elements in our worship, do we? That's not really our style. But I, I've experienced those elements and experienced them powerfully other places. And one of the few liturgical services that actually ever moved me to tears and changed my life is the one that you hold in your hands this morning. How many of you are married in our midst this morning? Any married folks around? Now, let, let me have the... The Tates that were just singing before us up here just had their 40-somethings this Jan uh, December 30th. Um, but let me ask you this. Think about your marriage, and what would it be like if uh, you just skipped the wedding? <laughs> do, you, do you think what happened there afterwards would, would be shaped differently if if you just bypassed that little formality of standing before your family and friends and a minister in the presence of God and actually made verbal vows to one another. Do you think that made a difference in, in, how, in how you lived into your marriage? Well, I, I think this covenant service can have the same effect on us and our marriage with God can have the same effect on our relationship with him and our relationship to live out this life with him that follows. Uh, so, so for that reason, I, I hope that you'll suffer it with me, that you'll have an open mind to it. And uh, one of the scriptures that we'll be looking at in it, uh, covenants go way back. You know what? A marriage is a covenant. A covenant could be defined as an agreement of mutual self-giving based on a vow. That's why marriages are a covenant. Do you realize that your relationship with God is a covenant? This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right? We say that over communion almost each week when we take it. We won't be doing that this morning because I was afraid we'd go really long if we did. So here it is, though. Here in 2 Kings, verse 23, uh, covenants go way back. This is a long time. Actually, 630-something B.C. is when this happened. And then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. This is 2 Kings 23. And the king that sent for them was King Josiah. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read 
in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. Now what had happened is Josiah, though he was just eight years old when he took over as being king, by the time he was 16, he had a heartfelt conversion towards the Lord. Unlike his father's, he decided to live a life that was honoring God. And when he did, one of the first things he was concerned about was the temple. It wasn't in such good repair. So he initiated a repair project on the temple. And while they were repairing it, lo and behold, they discovered the Bible, at least Deuteronomy of it. And they realized that long ago, though their people had forgotten about it, though they were founded in this kind of stuff, they had grown distant from it to where the people in that day, it was almost like new news to hear that God had especially chosen them for a relationship with himself. And so Josiah gathered everybody he could into Jerusalem, and he simply read to them the book of the Lord. All right, so if you think a liturgical service drags a little bit, imagine that service, okay? He just stood in front of them and read to them the book of Deuteronomy. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people entered into the covenant with him. Now, if you'll remember in Deuteronomy, it was made clear how the, Israel, uh, how the nation of Israel was different. They, they, they weren't an oppressed people by their king. They were a people that were served by their king and, and, and with their king, the Lord of all, right? And so Deuteronomy lays out that kind of relationship in the very founding of, uh, of the nation when they came out of slavery and into this new opportunity to represent God in the world. So Deuteronomy basically lays out this principle. You are no longer slaves. You are now ambassadors. Right? And interestingly, this happens at a time when those who used to oppress Palestine, the Assyrians, they, 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 they basically taken in the northern kingdom, right? And Judah was left behind, but Judah was still oppressed by this Assyrian power, which was much stronger than they were. And in 630 A.D., something interesting happened. The king of Assyria died, and their hold over Israel and everything south of them started to wane. And as that power started to wane, this young king, freshly committed to God, started to live into his influence in the land. His name was Josiah. Does that sound familiar? An oppressive power crumbles under its own dysfunction and weight. Is, is that reminiscent of anything that we've just been through? Are you, are, are you catching the parallel here? And immediately as, as that oppressive power lets go, God raises up a new people for a new day and Israel is launched into a 20-year period of incredible revival and reform under King Josiah, other than King David, often believed to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. All this happens as a resurgence just before Nebuchadnezzar comes, the people don't completely turn, and, and the sins of the fathers are so great that, that the God uses Nebuchadnezzar, remember him, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, he comes, he takes over Judah, takes them away in, in exile, right? So this, this is kind of the last great hope, the resurgence of God's power amongst his people so, some 20 or 30 years before, before that great calamity, before the exile, before they left. <laughs> I like playing with this. An oppressive power has just fallen off. Do we have 20 years of revival in front of us? Is the great awakening about to happen? Is this the opportunity that is ours before the great exit? All right. And so King Josiah begins this 20 years of revival. He reigned basically from the time he was 8 to he died when he was 39. So, so, so for... For those years, 21 years, is that right? Am I doing the math right there? 31. 31 years, he, he, he reigns over Israel, and they, and they know this revival. And you know how it started? With a covenant. He read the word of God to them, the rediscovered authority of Scripture. He read the word to them. And the people in heart decided to follow God together. And the rest is history. But it all began with the covenant service I just read about. Covenants can make a difference because they do articulate. They do set a heading. They, they, they do inaugurate a new way of living according to the vows that you make. Right? Right? And it can be as powerful experience in each of our lives as, as, as marriage maybe has been for us. But what would it be like if we renewed our vows with God? That's what this covenant service imagines and hopes for. So if you join me on page two. You have on the left-hand side kind of the origins of this service. That's post-biblical origins. In 1775, John Wesley introduced it. And interestingly enough, John Wesley's part in the Great Awakening was sustained far longer than folks like uh, George Whitfield, who won thousands and tens of thousands more to the Lord. But George Whitfield in his later years, said my brother John Wesley was wiser. He joined his people together in, in groups so that they could continue to live on their faith. And because they became this kind of covenanted community with one another, George Whitfield said that Wesley's revival had longer-lasting results in the world. In fact, he said, compared to the Methodists, those who followed my leadership in the Great Awakening are like, this is a quote, a rope of sand. So let's start at uh, the top of number two there. I'm, I'm going to ask Cole to just come and, and help me with the people part. Your, your part is always labeled people, and whenever you come to the uh, uh, bolded, Sections, there will be things that you join Cole. He'll lead you in reading that, okay? If you're not familiar with this kind of thing, that's the way it works. Uh, but, but this morning, you know, it, it, would, it would be kind of an odd thing if you came to a wedding service 
and somebody all of a sudden said, okay, you go stand opposite the bride, right? So if, if, if it kind of feels like that to you this morning, this is what I suggest you do. As we walk through this service, just as you would sit at a wedding and kind of imagine yourself in the place of those who are doing the vows with each other, you may be ready to take these vows, or you may just want to hear them yourself and kind of try them on for fit. Does that make sense? Just kind of, kind of try it on. Now, the, the words of these commitments to one another, the vows are strong. If you want a good marriage, that's the kind of vow you want to make, right? Uh, but if you came this morning expecting to sleep through worship and go home unchanged, uh, this may hit you like a two-by-four in the face, all right? So what I'm saying is don't feel entrapped. Just, just try it on for size, okay? And see if in doing so, it doesn't bless you as well. So here we go. Almighty God, you search our hearts, and you see every part of us. All our desires are known to you, and from you no secrets are hidden. By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, cleanse our hearts so we may perfectly love you and glorify your holy name now as God's dearly loved children. We thank you, Lord, that you love us even before we make this kind of vow. Let us pray together as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass, trespass against, against us. us. And, and lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There we go. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. John 15, 1-4 and 14. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word, which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You are my friends if you do what I command. Amen. Thank you, Cole. You can be seated for now. Today's message is going to be a little shorter to make time for our, our responses and so forth, but I do... I do want to lift up our connection as a particular local church to this particular heritage uh, this morning. I hope you heard in those scriptures that we just read the name of our church. Because that's where we got it. We are abiding harvest. That's who we are. We had several different names that we considered when we were considering being a church and Frankly, we had a very hard time picking a name. We thought about really cool names. 
the mosaic, the tapestry, the river. I kind of like that one, the river. New Hope. New Hope was one of our, one of our most popular possibilities. Had some large appeal. New Hope. That would have been, I like that, New Hope. But finally, we could not reach consensus, and everybody just got frustrated with this process by which we were trying to come up with a name. And finally, everyone just kind of turned to me as the pastor and said, Pastor, we're paying you. Figure it out <laughs> and tell us why you think that's the best name, and let us consider that. And so, and so I, I prayed about it. And, you know, I liked all those cool names, you know. Sounded like a really cool Baptist church with a strong website. <laughs> but uh, I couldn't get away from abiding harvest. And uh, though it wasn't as cool, and it kind of reminded me of an agricultural label, which I wasn't real familiar with. My granddad was a farmer, but I'd have to go back that far to get familiar with cultivating and harvesting and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to its connections to Scripture, to it being accurate and timeless, for who I think God was hoping this church would always be, I could find no better name for our church than Abiding Harvest. We talked about it as a church and we decided, yeah, that's it. That's going to be it. Uh, I've never heard of another United Methodist Church called Abiding Harvest. We were weird. Still are. <laughs> but, but at the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of the New Testament message, and, and part of that message that I think will be a, a clarion call, a bugle call for who we are and who we're supposed to be is always going to be the two mandates that arise from the New Testament and from Jesus. And that is the great commandment and the great commission. They said, Jesus, what is the most important thing out of all the law that we should do? And he said, what? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the most important commandment was about loving God and loving one another in such a way that you transform the world by the love that they see and they experience from you. Right? So it, 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 it can, if you do that, you can never be too far off, right? That's, that's one of those, man, another one of those mandates was Jesus came down in his resurrection form and just before he ascended to go to the Father, he gathered his people and he said, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. These are his last words, folks. Couldn't be anything more important. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the peoples, of all the nations, of all the ethnos. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Those two huge mandates, the great commandment, which tells us what we are to be, a loving people, right? And the Great Commission, which tells us what we are to do, go therefore and make disciples, right? So, in a word, the Great Commandment 
And the Great Commission is abiding harvest. Abide in Him. And there's a whole scripture that enriches what, what that means in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. And he, he tells us to, to abide in several ways. Now, that's an interesting word. We don't hear it too much. You ever, you ever heard someone talk about their abode? That's where they live. That's their home. That's their, their routine place. That's the place that they've shaped and that shapes them. Right? Your abode. The place that you abide. And, and another word that's kin to it, both in English and in the original Greek, is remain. When we say it's an abiding harvest, you might not only think of this scripture, you might think of it just as what the word seems to be suggesting, that this is going to be a harvest that goes on for a while. It's an abiding harvest. It's a living harvest. It's a lasting harvest. Are you with me? To abide. Jesus told us to, to abide in him. And if you look at John 15, he goes on and says, also, abide in my words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So, so part of this abiding is not just kind of a, a spiritual connection through the Holy Spirit. It's also being a word-soaked people so much that the authority of Scripture actually becomes the internal compass that we're living by. Are you with me? So, so we abide in Christ. And two things will happen, he says, if you abide in Christ. If you abide in Him, His Word will abide in you. There's only one command in this whole passage, and that's to abide. And he says, if you abide in him, he will make you fruitful. Now, a lot of people misread it. They take it on in a different way, and they think that God is commanding his disciples to be fruitful. Not the case. The only command of the whole passage in John 15 is abide. You seek me with your whole heart. Seek ye first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. Everything else that we're called to be and to do as a Christian starts first and foremost with our abiding in Christ. He is the vine, and we are the branches. And if we separate ourselves from the vine, we will shrivel up just like a branch cut off of a, of a, of a, of a, of a grapevine. <laughs> I think there were some folks over in a field nearby, and they were, they were probably cleaning, gleaning the, the, the fields, the 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 vineyard. And what they would have seen there is vine dressers out in the vineyard, and they're, they're cutting away places, you know, and there's a purpose to their cutting away. They're not just chopping it. It's not like they're mowing grass, right? They are particularly cultivating this vine in such a way that it will become more fruitful, so that it will be balanced, so that the fruit won't, won't hang on the ground and spoil. All, the vine dressers are shaping the vine not only for its beauty, but for its productivity, for it to be a blessing to others. A vine is something that gives away fruit to those who eat of it, right? It's the giveaway part of the plant. So, so the vine dresser is, 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 is shaping us as branches, right? But he's also cleaning the vines that remain. A branch has suckers on it. You know what I'm talking about? The, 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 the little branches that aren't going to become anything. And those, those suckers, ha have that's what they do. They, they suck the vitality out of the vine over to themselves. They do nothing with it. And so what the vine dresser does is he cuts away the stuff that's not 
productive in order for those things that are willing to be productive to become that much more productive. Now, this is just a vine dresser in a field. But Jesus says, look, see those vine dressers over there? If you ever feel my word pinching you a little bit, saying not this but that, right? Know that that's a loving pruner at work on you. If something cramps your style a little bit about something Jesus has told you, it's probably because he's wanting to release you to a life that's going to be far more productive and fruitful than the one by which you're invested in it now. So God is a vine dresser, and he not only over time matures us to be more lovely, beautiful, productive, blessing, all that kind of stuff, but, but, he, but he also chops away those branches that are just dead and they they, he cuts them away and then they gather up all those branches and they take them over here you know and they're burning them in a pile now i don't think this is talking about jesus necessarily saying hey if you're unproductive you're gonna burn in hell i don't think that's what this is saying i think what this is saying is that jesus was watching these vine dressers and he says what you know he's saying what a waste what a waste to be a part of the body but never really a part of the body What a waste to be a Christian, but never really be his ambassador. What a waste to know all the goodness of God, but not share the goodness of God. Never produce any fruit. Never give any of it away. And he says all that that wastefulness is just going to be set aside. You know? And he says, but if you'll abide in me and let my words abide in you, I will see that you are fruitful And when you're fruitful, you will prove who you belong to, who you're connected to. You will prove to be disciples of mine by the fruit which you bear, right? So he's saying, abide in me, abide in my word, till my word abides in you. He says, abide in my commandments. And what's his commandment? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as itself. All that's in this this John 15 passage. And over and over again, the word that's used to describe this kind of connected life to God is abiding, remaining in him. See, not just being connected on Sunday mornings or not just being connected at one time in my life, but forever nurturing this connection so that that connection can ever nurture you. So at the heart of who we want to be as a church is not a church that is just full of activity for no purpose. But people who do life together in such a way that it helps us connect with God and connect with one another so that when we interact with one another, you're not getting from me just my fleshly response. But there's something else going on in there. God and His Holy Spirit have so rubbed off in me that it's not just my natural like for you that you got going for you in a relationship with me. Even when you're not likable and you're not lovable, if the Holy Spirit lives within me, the God who loves you unconditionally lives within me, and I got more love for you than you could ever have if it was just up to me. Are you with me? So it's about abiding, but it's also about a harvest. And Jesus describes that harvest when he gives us the Great Commission. He doesn't use the word there, but he does use the word back in Matthew, the scripture that we read. 
and he sees the people and he feels a heart of compassion for everyone. How, what do we say here? You have never locked eyes with anyone for whom our Savior did not die. He felt compassion for them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were downcast. They were in trouble. They were in need. And he, he's saying, but they need a shepherd, but there's not enough of me to get to that great multitude. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out workers into his harvest field. Right? And that's usually where we stop reading. But you realize the very next verse is him choosing the 12 and then sending them into that harvest to minister to those people. He chose 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. You see, you come and you abide and you start having Jesus stuff show up in your life. That sweet, loving, good, strong Jesus stuff. And then you've got that to give away to others in your relationships to them. And Jesus sent them right out into the harvest. Ours is not to be a church that just gathers. Ours is to be a church from which we're sent. We're called to be an abiding harvest. Did y'all know that's why we were called that? Abiding harvest. Boy, I got to move here. Um, now, w w w that's our name. But integral to our name is also, uh, growing out of our name, I guess you'd say, is our mission statement. Do you know what that is? To make fully devoted disciples of these and future generations through participation in authentic Christian community. Every single one of those words is well chosen and connected with what we think is our core purpose, our, our core reason for being. To make fully devoted disciples. Not just to get people in seats. Not just to grow crowds. Not just to even win converts. To so connect people with Christ in an abiding way that they grow into being fully devoted disciples. That's another way of saying disciples that grow in abiding, right? To make fully devoted disciples of these and future generations. Every mission station statement is supposed to have a target. Who is it that we're trying to reach or connect or involve in this which we do? The way we described that was these and future generations. We have from the beginning seen ourselves as a multi-generational church. Every generation matters to us here. Through participation in. There's a good word. Participation. Sounds like abiding. Sounds like something ongoing. Through participation in authentic Christian community. We really believe that it takes a village to raise a disciple and a disciple to affect a village. That we do our best growth when we get together with one another and we hold each other accountable and we lift each other up and we support each other when it's tough. That's a part of who we are. What does it mean to be a devoted disciple that's participating? We've actually fleshed that out. Are you aware of that? You'll see it on the banners as they go down the hall. What are those activities, those ongoing kind of this is our home, this is what we do here kind of things, these, these marks of participation that help us become fully devoted disciples. Do you know what they are? They're worshiping regularly, fellowshipping faithfully, giving generously. Just come down the hall. Giving generously, ser uh, serving effectively, and witnessing fruitfully. 
if we're involved in that sort of stuff, we will be fruitful disciples for God. But it all starts with abiding, with worshiping regularly, with connecting with him. I'm trying to paint a quick picture of who we are, particularly in relation to this. In keeping with that, in 2023, our leadership has set aside our wig, our wildly important goal, as to re-articulate and implement our path for making fully devoted disciples. And to do it in such a way that anybody who comes in our church will know that path, be able to get on it and join us. To know that path in such a way that if any of us who have parts of that kind of life still yet to develop in our life will see where the gap is and know how to flesh that out. We won't be lost. We won't misunderstand what might be next for us. Are you with me? So that, that's our wig for, for 2023. 20, uh, but we, we can have all this great heritage, all this well, well thought out kind of uh, biblical living before us. We can be at the wedding and say the vows, but not be personally committed to them. And if that's the case, doesn't it, doesn't it just empty them of their power? A bride or a groom standing with one another, saying their vows, not really caring what the words mean, just repeating what the pastor says. Or if, if we as individuals own our commitment and we have a pathway before us, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready to start moving right now. The steps that we take right now are going to contribute to where we want to be later. There won't be any wasted motion. No branches to throw in the fire because they're a waste. I, I, I went to church much of my life wondering, why on earth am I here? Seriously, this is it? Come, sit in a chair, listen to a pep talk and leave? Really? And, and then I got involved in the church as a youth director. Wore my tail out with activity. Why? For what purpose? Did it help anyone become a more devoted disciple? Well, actually it did. God got involved. Despite our jello wrestling. Jello wrestling for Jesus. I mean, I did that. Thank you. You still love me. I appreciate that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church, churches have, uh, of the past majored so in activity and so much of the time it was unpurposeful so that it didn't really contribute to people becoming something or, or making a real impact in the community. Whatever energy we have, we hope in this place to hone it so it makes a real difference in the world and a real difference in our own lives. That's why this stuff is important. But like I say, if we're not personally committed to it, it's just a great plan that's never going to be walked out. And that's why I think today is so important.
I saw a movie some years ago. I'm going to show you a little clip of it. It's called The Kingdom of Heaven. And, and, and there's a scene in that movie where Balian, the leader of the armies of Israel, who is defending Jerusalem against Saladin, a Muslim conqueror. And the Muslims have the numbers, they have the strength. It's a long shot to defend Jerusalem. In fact, many have already fled in fear, misusing their power as an escape for themselves rather than to serve the people. And Balian, this unproven knight, becomes their leader. And in this particular scene, he is a leader. He is Josiah. But it's not just he that's going to make the difference. More than anything else, it's going to be the people once they understand who they are, what they're called to, that they have a mission, and they are engaged in it. And in that process, he makes of those who have never fought before knights. Check out this scene, and if this doesn't make every masculine hair on the back of your neck stand at attention, you probably don't have a Y chromosome. <laughs> okay, you ready? Watch this. Watch this. Has claim. All have claim. That is blasphemy. Be quiet. We defend this city, not to protect these stones, but the people living within these walls. My lord, my lord, how are we to defend Jerusalem without knights? We have no knights! Truly. What is your condition? I am servant of the Patriarch. Is, uh, is one of my servants. Is he? You were born a servant. Neil. Every man at arms, or capable of bearing them. Kneel! On your knees! Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless. That is your oath. And that is so you remember it. Rise a knight! Rise a knight! Blast the grave digger. It is you, not what I was, nor are you. Rise a knight. Who do you think you are? Will you alter the world? Doesn't making a man a knight 
make him a better fighter. Yes. Has claim. Woo! All have claim. That is blasphemy. All right, we can stop it there. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We serve not in a movie plot, but in the drama of real history. And we don't defend Jerusalem. We advance the kingdom of God. And we serve a king who was bled and died to save us. Dearly loved brothers and sisters, this is page three. The Christian life is a life found in Christ, redeemed from sin and consecrated to God. We are those who have entered into this life and have been admitted into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of this covenant. He sealed it with his own blood so that it would last forever. On one side of this covenant stands God who promises to give us new life in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Every day God proves his goodness and grace to us, showing us that his promise stands firm. On the other side, we stand as those who promise to no longer live for ourselves, but instead to live for Jesus Christ because he has loved us and given his life for us. God transforms people, yet all of us have sinned. All of us in Christ are in the process of sanctification, being uh, conformed in holiness of lifestyle to the likeness of Jesus himself. The invitation into this process is all-inclusive. In faithful response to this invitation in Christ, we become partners with God and partners with one another in turning from sin and turning towards godliness. There are times in our lives when it's important for us to remember and reaffirm our promises and vows. In this same way, we come today to renew our covenant with God. Many generations before us have done this. Today, we make the covenant our own, renewing with both joy and sincerity the covenant that binds us all to God. We are those who seek to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ, but sometimes we fall short. Let us now examine ourselves before God, humbly confessing our sins and submitting our hearts so that we do not deceive ourselves and cut ourselves away from God. Let us pray. Father God, you have set forth the way of life through your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you love dearly. We shamefully confess that we have been slow to learn of him and have been reluctant to follow him. You have spoken and called us, to, but, not, but we have not listened. You have revealed your beauty to us, but we have been blind. You have stretched out your hands to us through our friends, that we have passed by them. We have accepted your gifts and offered little thanks. We are unworthy of your unchanging love. We now confess to you our sins as the Holy Spirit brings them to mind in the silences that follow. Please forgive us for the poverty of our worship. Forgive us for the selfishness of our own prayers. 
Forgive us for inconsistency and unbelief. For the ways we neglect faithful fellowship. For the ways we've not given generously. For the ways we've not served effectively. For our hesitation to witness fruitfully. For any way we deceive ourselves and others. Forgive us, Lord, also for these sins that we silently confess to you now. Forgive us for when we waste time and when we misuse the gifts you have given us. Forgive us for when we have made excuses for the wrong things we have done and when we have purposely avoided responsibility. Lord, it is by your grace that we experience salvation. Your prevening grace woos us from sin and towards the saving knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Your justifying grace reconciles us to the Father when we are born again. Your sanctifying grace trains our will as disciples, progressively perfecting us in Christ-likeness. Forgive us when we resist your preeminent grace with pride and doubt. Forgive us when we reject your justifying grace with stubborn independence and rebellion. Forgive us when we shun your sanctifying grace with poses of self-righteousness and unrepentant hearts. May we let your kindness lead us to repentance. God the Father, the Father of all mercies, is faithful to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise and glory be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As our praise team comes and we take our morning's offering, I'll pray over that offering in just a moment. Uh, but we'll be singing songs this morning that are, are not our usuals. They're from our, from our hymnals and from our heritage. They go back to the 1700s. Both of them were written by Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother. And before we sing them, uh, I thought I would just have a little fun and read to you the actual um, directions for singing by John Wesley from 1761. He told the people how to sing. Are you ready for this? Learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. Sing them exactly as they are printed here, without altering or mending them at all. And if you've learned to sing them otherwise, unlearn it as soon as you can. <laughs> sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, then take it up, and you'll find it a blessing. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead. 
or half asleep. But lift your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of, the, of your voice now, nor ashamed of its being heard, than when you sung the songs of Satan in the bars. Sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from everybody else. That you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear melodious sound. Sing in time. Don't lag behind. Don't sing too fast. Above all else, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away merely with the sound. But offer to God continually so that your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he comes in the clouds of heaven. Let's sing. Would you stand with us?